I think that everyone now understands that data is one of any company's most important assets. So I don't think anyone needs convincing of that. I think the question now is, do you have the right technologies and products in place to capture as much data as possible that is in the market to use to your advantage? Good morning, good evening, wherever you are and whatever you are doing. Delighted you could join us. Matthew Grant here, but you're only going to hear from me very briefly today because I'm delighted that Robin Mertens is back in front of the microphone talking to Tom Wilde, CEO of Indigo Data. They're going to be talking about how the company is helping bring data in for commercial insurers, uh, what they're going to do with that and how they're using generative AI. So lots of things in there. I don't want to spoil it. You're going to have to listen to what Robin and Tom are talking about. But uh, if you want to hear more what we've got going on at Instead, of course, you can find out all we're doing, reports, events, podcasts, everything else, www.instec.co. That's it. Over to Tom and Robin. I've got Tom Wild, the CEO of Indico Data, with us today. Tom, thank you very much for joining us. Hi, Robin. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. We've got a description of Indico Data on our website. We call you an intelligent intake solution that enables commercial insurers to streamline claims and underwriting workflow, and that the solution is designed to help subject matter experts make faster, more accurate decisions. Is is our website accurate at this point in time? Yeah, that's very accurate. I think that we have a strong view that in this economy we're heading into, which we're sort of referring to the decision economy the data is still the critical raw material for that. We have unprecedented access to decision capabilities through machine learning and and now generative AI, but it doesn't change the fact that the data itself drives the the success of those decisions. Oh, we're going to come to that in more detail in a minute. Now, you're the CEO. Have you been there from the start? What's your history with the company? Nearly the start. So the company was founded by some undergraduates at the Olin College of Engineering in Boston. And they had got very intrigued by the dawn of, of deep learning and, and then transfer learning. And they had really locked onto this idea of foundation models, which we now all call large language models, as a, a new way and a very powerful way to solve unstructured data that hadn't been possible before. You're an experienced pro. I think you have a history in go-to-market. I doubt whether you were short of offers. Why, why particularly did you go with a bunch of young founders fresh out of school? I think there were really three elements that attracted me. The first was the technology innovation that we talked about. At the time, I wasn't, when I arrived, an expert in deep learning or transfer learning that the team really educated me on. And, and it was clear that if this was successful, it was going to be a, a breakthrough way to address high volumes of unstructured data that persists in many industries. I think from a people standpoint, what attracted to me about the team was their strong desire to make this accessible to as broad a set of folks as possible, right? They weren't interested in creating a research project. They really wanted to figure out how this technology could land in the hands of enterprise users as quickly as possible. And they really were averse to a lot of the hyperbole, which we're seeing again right now around AI, right? So if we roll back five or six years ago, that was the first AI hype cycle, and now we're in another one. And they said to me, as we talked before I took the job, that they didn't like this idea of robots and the whole robot persona that often gets depicted with AI, that the hyperbole 
was just really distasteful to them. They wanted to make it practical. They wanted to make it also useful and safe. So one of the things that we invested in early on was explainability. And, and to this day, I think we still have the most robust explainability capabilities built into the platform. And that was something they cared deeply about, that the responsible use of this technology. For me, the third part was what was exciting is they, they didn't really have a product vision. They had a technology vision. My experience has been on the product and go-to-market side. It was very clear to me how to, to wrap this with a product that end users could use, which was part of their mission. Those two points of view came together really nicely. You mentioned AI and the hyperbole is back. I'm intrigued to know whether you, is that helpful for a company like yours or is that a hindrance? How do you use the expression in your marketing? Give me your thoughts. Yeah, I think it's helpful in that the more people spend time trying to understand the technology, the more educated customers there are. I think it hurts in that in the very early phase of these hype cycles, they sort of abandoned the rational thinking around a lot of the use of these technologies. For example, prior to Gen AI, we would have very intense discussions with people about data security, and we have the ability to deploy our entire solution in, inside a customer's VPC so that the, the data never escapes. And now all of a sudden with Gen AI, all of those constraints seem to be lifted, right? So everyone's suddenly willing to send all of their data out to the cloud. And so that's puzzling, right? Because oh, wait a minute, a year ago, that was impossible. And now it, it's not only possible, it is desirable. So I think that some of those things get suspended during the hype phase. I think we'll come back to some rational discussions around things like data security, things like explainability, cost. But I think those things are a little frustrating during the hype cycle because you're talking in the abstract about how to solve these problems. So we're often asked what we think and what we would recommend our members do. And I like, quite like your expression of rational, having rational conversations. And people have seen the power of this and people have got excited about it and people naturally want to use it. But what would you your recommendations about what you do now? Look, it's an unquestionably one of the biggest innovations that we've seen since perhaps the smartphone or the browser. We will look back on this and see that this was a moment, right? The way we did with those technologies. So without question, it is profound and it is gonna get better, faster. A lot of the drawbacks that we see today are going to get addressed. But I, I think the key to remember is that Gen AI is not an application. It is much more a programming language that is very powerful in that it uses data and it uses natural language, right? Which means that suddenly virtually every person on earth, or at least every English speaking person on earth is a software programmer. I say that specifically because the internet is overwhelmingly dominated by English. Gen AI was trained mostly on English. So outside of English, the quality of it degrades very rapidly. And I think that's another thing for, for folks to keep in mind. But that is profound that all of a sudden you have billions of potential programmers overnight, right? Whereas I think when I check the stat, there were about 25 million software engineers in the world prior to, to generative AI. So very profound from that perspective. Look, these are really big structural issues and they're going to lead to some profound changes. How long is it going to take, do you think, to get from the potential of what this could do to actual, uh, from the hype to the the reality of it in practice. We have to remember these technologies take some time to sort themselves out and solve the problem 
in a comprehensive way. Early in my career, I was at a company and we had built a Java-based codec for streaming video to, they weren't smartphones back then, they were flip phones. And we demonstrated streaming CNN on a Nokia phone at a trade show. And someone walked up to the booth and said, that's the stupidest thing I've ever seen. No one will ever watch video on a phone. And we were very deflated by that because from a technical standpoint, we'd pulled off something very complicated. But of course, the market wasn't nearly ready for it, right? The, the, the bandwidth, the phones themselves, the content wasn't there. There was no infrastructure for it. And I think the mobile phone revolution took 10 years to really arrive from the time that people started to talk about it. I think generative AI, you've seen this be a much, much faster and more compressed, which we're seeing with each new technology, a much more compressed time to value. And I think we, we will see that with generative AI. I think that 23 was the year of excitement. I think 24 is going to be the year of some real prototypes getting tested. And then I think a lot of them will be found to, to not be scalable or not be safe enough to use. I think that people need to understand that Generative AI will hallucinate, right? It's the very nature of it, the word generative. It wants to generate a response for you. It's trying to be helpful. It doesn't really understand the boundaries of, well, I should always be accurate or I shouldn't make things up. So that means that for certain use cases, it's really powerful. It, it has unlocked things that could not be done before, like true natural language summarization, writing software code, transforming from one format to the other. Like these are things that, that are just stunningly good with generative AI. Um, but there are other things that there are major caution flags around if you're going to try to use that. So I think the idea that you're seeing this top-down pressure, hey, we just have to use generative AI, the sort of technology in search of a problem um, over and over again in history has, has generally disappointed when that's been the, the approach. I'm slightly embarrassed because we're, we've got this far and we've not even mentioned the word insurance other than in the, in the intro. So come on, we should talk about insurance. What is it that we, we are predominantly at Instech and an insurance community and, and our community focuses on innovation. What, what are the particular problems that Indico Data is solving for the insurance industry? Let's think about what insurance companies do, right? At, at the end of the day, the intellectual property that an insurance company has is its unique ability to make critical decisions. Should we underwrite this risk? Should we adjudicate this claim? all of those things become unique IP that allows them to, to make profit. Those decisions are increasingly made possible and, and made better by access to ever-growing amounts of data. So that means that the new competitive landscape is, how can you capture the right data as quickly as possible, as accurately as possible, to drive that decision-making? The challenge insurance has is that an awful lot of that data starts life in an unstructured format. If you think about the broker submission process, you're really, you know, I like to describe it as a tower of Babel, right? Um, no one can drive a standard. The brokers submit what they're going to submit. And it's up to the insurance companies to sort out and figure out as quickly as they can what data matters. Same is true of claims, right? So that unstructured to structured becomes a, a vital step in the process that historically, I think, wasn't as big a focus. And I think now that we have this sort of unprecedented ability to use these technologies to make decisions, the data itself is very much in focus. Is it, am I right in saying it's two parts? It's the intake and then the decisions. Are you, presumably you're taking it in and then at some point you're providing some intelligence which enables your customers to be able to do smart things with it. Yeah, that's right. And our tagline is better data, better decisions. So it is a continuum. And we think of it that way. So you go from raw, unstructured 
to schematic structured data that maps to the data elements that your underwriters or your claims adjusters need to be able to make these decisions. And now increasingly, Indico adding capabilities around clearance and triage, and and ultimately even some of the underwriting decisions by augmenting the data that we're able to create on behalf of the customer and marrying that to external data or existing internal data sources. And now you start to get into generative AI can really add value, which is now that I have these documents and structured data alongside of it, can I interact with those documents in a much more robust way to summarize key elements, summarize key risks, use stored prompts that I've developed over time that allow me to really get at the the kind of business that I want to underwrite and and drive more uh, gross written premiums. I think that what we hear over and over again is our data quality isn't good enough for us to make robust decisions, and we can't get at it fast enough so we're only quoting 20% of the submissions, right? So imagine that, 20% of the submissions. That's a lot of business left on the table. Yeah, that's a good point. The, the insurance industry is very naughty at allowing people to use this. Are you able to share details of any of the customers that you work for at the moment? Sure. We work with AXA XL in the UK. We work with companies like Everest and Markel in the States. So those are just some examples. And if you were to put your finger on it, what, why do you think they use you? You're in a very competitive space, this uh, other companies who who have similar propositions, they certainly describe themselves in the same way. What would you point out in answering that question? Yeah, so now we start to get into really distinguishing right technology for the right problem. So Indico has developed for a long time a discriminative AI approach, and, and now we've added a generative AI to the mix. And so we're really good at helping the customer apply the right technology to the right problem that has a lot of benefits. So if you think about intake and classification and extraction as key steps early in the intake process, with discriminative AI, it cannot hallucinate, right? The All the data is explainable. And so you can have very high trust over that data. It is literally impossible for it to hallucinate. When you get into more qualitative judgments, you can use generative AI, and that's a huge bootstrap to helping accelerate the decisioning. But there, you need to be mindful that there are fuzziness at the borders there. I think that the other thing we've done is really invested in the product, making delivering a highly intuitive, useful, and leverageable application experience. So you don't have to be a data scientist to use Indico. We designed it for the underwriters, the claims adjusters, et cetera. So it's a point-and-click experience, even though the technology under the hood is very powerful. And then the third differentiator for Indico is we have deeply studied the change management impact of deploying AI inside the company. I think what's missed a lot, it's gotten better, but I think what's commonly missed is there's an expectation that it will be seamless, right? That no one will have to do anything different tomorrow than they were doing today to capture the value. And that's not the case. You will need to change something about your process to take advantage of the technology. So what you often see in a deployment of AI of any kind, including Indico, is you have very accelerated expectations. You have this little trough where people are like, wait, I have to do something different. And then on the other side of that trough, you'd have to pry it out of their hands because it has just really transformed how they perform their jobs every day and, and the power that it gives them. So really helping customers set themselves up for success and understanding that change management means that something like 97% of the use cases that 
that we've signed up for with customers have gone into production, full production. The other thing that intrigued me, because this is rare in your space, you've decided to specialize in sort of commercial or specialty insurance, which brings a set of sort of unique challenges. And, and the industry has often slightly poo-pooed the ability to make full use of these things by saying every risk's different and you can't pick up patterns. And Yeah, with some good reason, right? Yeah, absolutely. So why particularly did you, did you hone in on, on the, the more complex end of the market? I think it certainly helps us stand out even more. We like to say that bring us your toughest problems, the, the highest complexity, highest scale problems. That is where this technology really shines. I think there is a commoditization in certain segments of the document intelligence market. We really go after, and Commercial Lines is, has this in spades, to your point, that if you work with a specialty line carrier, they'll have dozens and dozens of lines of business. Each are unique. And I think the underwriters historically and rightly so, it's a highly curated process. But once they're able to see that they can get access to the data they need much faster and really focus their energy on what they're good at, which is the judgment side of assessing risk, then it really becomes an accelerant for them. But that's why I think we've really focused on uh, commercial and specialty lines is is the complexity is, is real. And then you've come to the UK and come to Instech, for which we're, we're delighted. Why to the UK now? And was there anything particular reason which has, has brought you here? I'm a big believer in focus in all the companies that I've been lucky enough to, to, to build and participate in. And, and focus really drives results. And focus means a lot of things. And, and it can mean geography, it can mean um, industry, it can mean the particulars of your technology. And we wanted to make sure that that we were ready to enter the UK market, that we had a team to do that, and that we could support those customers. I've seen in past experiences where you land a a customer out on an island and it becomes very difficult to support them and it's unfair for everybody. We wanted to make sure we were ready to to fully support UK customers. And so we we made the investments to do that as we entered the market. I don't know if there's any truth in this rumor, but I know you're a soccer nut. So I'm wondering whether you came here just to get access to more regular Premier League games. That is the secret master plan. You're onto it. I started playing 50 years ago. And in the States, 50 years ago, soccer was an odd choice. It was a niche sport at the time. And I just really took to it. In fact, about an hour ago, I just finished up an in- my weekly indoor soccer game. So it's something that I enjoy watching and playing. We talked to somebody a few years ago who'd moved on to walking soccer. So here, I think there's an over-60s league and I said to him, who do you play for? And he told me a local club. And he was going to play against Arsenal walking football team in the afternoon. I saw a story about that. I think that's absolutely genius. And I think soccer or football is that kind of sport where you do want to play for, for a long time. We haven't seen that uh, in, in the US yet, to my knowledge. But uh, what a brilliant idea. You've come to the UK just at the time we sent you Beckham. How's he perceived in your world? Is he doing great things for Miami and the MLS? Was it him and Messi in, in combination? Well, I think his stint in, at the Galaxy introduced him to the U.S., and I think his star power is, is as present in the U.S. As, as anywhere in the world. And then bringing Messi in, and even I think Suarez just signed as well with Miami. That kind of star power has made a big difference for MLS. And I could talk about this all day long. We'll, I'll get you tickets to the Arsenal game when you're over, and we'll go and have a chat. But we should finish back on insurance. We often ask people this question, and I think it's a good way to end. If the listeners take away one thing from this podcast, what would you like them to take away? I think that everyone now understands that 
data is one of any company's most important assets. So I don't think anyone needs convincing of that. I think the question now is, do you have the right technologies and products in place to capture as much data as possible that is in the market to use to your advantage? And then second, how are you thinking about operationalizing and scaling your decisioning with the arrival of Gen AI and and the existence of discriminative AI? That data to decision sort of pipeline is how you must compete in this market going forward. That's a good way to end. Look, thank you for joining us. Thank you to Indico Data for their support. Good luck in the UK, and and you know where to find us if we can help. Thanks, Robin. Really enjoyed it. Instech is officially coming to the US to bring the future of underwriting closer to you. Join us to discover the new tools leading insurance organizations are using to remove the pain from underwriting and let underwriters concentrate on what they do best. This event is sponsored by Saitora, Hyper Exponential, Google Cloud, and Kroll. The full program will be confirmed in the new year. It's always fascinating to hear what's happening about extracting data and making life more efficient for insurers. So thanks to Tom for that. And also, of course, for Indigo Data for supporting us as a corporate member. Now, if you've got a story you want to hear with the world about the technology you're building and think we can help you, then please do contact us. You can find out more about what we offer for corporate membership on the website, www.instec.co. Or if you're an insurance company and you're curious about what is happening in the world of innovation that can help you, then please do also take a look at the website or contact us. I'm sure you're going to find something what you want there, but there's quite a lot we're doing behind that as well. So do get in contact. Matthew Grant or Robin Mertens on LinkedIn or any of us. Hello at instec.co. That's it. We're done. <laughs>